Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, free thinkers. Hello, martini heads. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's a woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's periculous realm of the ridiculous demon entwined smells of excrement of bovine torrid occasionally horrid yet rapidly awakening strange little world as always we try to conduct ourselves on this show with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day we are not always successful i'll admit to that but we are honor bound to give it our best shot and on this show the metaphysical martini show we do love shots yes we do in fact i'm going to have one right now excuse me mm. oh not so much a shot actually because i'm a lady i don't do a lot of shots it's more a sort of a sip of my cocktail which was very nice hang on mm. i think that's definitely going to be a keeper all right hey guys gals everybody in between if you're joining me for the first time i extend a very warm welcome to you be advised however this show does not exist to provide you with frivolous entertainment oh no we tackle difficult issues on this show with guts with gusto and a goodly amount of spiritual ammo we don't do politically correct because we do not wish to erode our intellect PC was created to inhibit free speech. You were told that speaking your mind would offend weak and fragile people with weak, feeble minds. You were told this because if you fear speaking out, it's only a matter of time until you fear freedom of thought. And if you haven't figured that out by now, my darlings, then you have fallen hook, line, and sinker for the trap set for you. By the perceptual engineers of the almighty Luciferian establishment. So please, let's take a step back and step out of the wanker zone. We are sovereign beings, creations of a supreme cosmic intelligence. Only the feeble-minded take offense because a feeble mind is proof of the false alter ego having taken control of the objective functional divine mind within us honoring the creator starts by honoring the divine within each cell of our being we must learn to recognize the unlimited cosmic potential within us we must align with the divine cosmos and from that vantage point and only from that vantage point can we make sense of the human experience and only from that vantage point can we overcome the flaws in our human programming and begin the process of merging our physical realm with the higher realms of light because that is what it's all about isn't it so hey if you're up for a magnificent space adventure i invite you to become a martini head and enjoy the rest of the show and hopefully enjoy the rest of your incarnation so as always let's start with quack questions answers comments 
If you, my darlings, would like to share the contents of your fabulous minds on this intergalactically renowned show, send your missives to me, Ani at AniAvadisian.com, or send me a postcard via snail mail to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, USA. And please, my darlings, please let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall have to refer to you as omit personal details. And it's fine if you want to remain anonymous. That's fine. Many prefer that. But please make your preference known. So without further ado, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what falls out. I'm a shaking it. I'm a shaking it. OK. All right. I have a feeling that. Uh, Today's questions are going to be very difficult ones. Why do I have that feeling? Well, because obviously these things come in on my P.O. box and on my email. So I have an idea of what I'm going to talk about roughly. What I do is I pull them all out and then I wrap them all up and throw them in this fishbowl. So I don't know exactly which ones I'm going to get. But this last week, people have been writing in with some pretty hard hitting stuff. So let's get along. And here's one. And this is from a chap called Metin. M-E-T-I-N, who says, Dear Ani, I am interested to know your thoughts on the phrase, no one is illegal on stolen land. Well, Metin, I suppose it depends on your definition of illegal and of stolen land. If you're asking me what I think you're asking me, then I would say it is an immature slogan. What is legality? Legality pertains to law written or unwritten, doesn't it? But it, you know, it relates to some sort of established law based on concerned with the law, judiciary. And so illegal is something that's contrary to or forbidden by law, by the law of the day, by the law of the land. And the noun of that would be an illegal, which is what we call people who enter a country without official authorization. OK, very good. Well done, Arnie, for explaining all that. Now, Metin. No one is illegal on stolen land. How exactly, Metin, was the land stolen? Did people sneak in after midnight and pull the land away from under the feet of the natives? Was it stolen when the natives were away watching a cricket match or when the natives were on holiday in warmer climes? I think probably not. No, there was conquest. One party sought access to another party's resources. And there may have been some honest negotiation initially. And if the negotiations did not favor the stronger party, the party with superiority in numbers and or weaponry, that party generally unleashed holy hell on the weaker party, took over all the resources and enslaved or destroyed the native population. Is this theft? Is it illegal? Because if it is, then every armed conquest for resources is theft and everyone owes everyone everything. Clearly, as it is a historical constant, mankind does not consider gathering another's resources via armed conflict illegal or an act of theft. Is it immoral? Is it the height of misalignment with all that is to go around killing people and taking their stuff? Is it despicable behavior? the action of cowards, bullies, the ignorant, the arrogant, and the hordes of sycophants? Well, yes, it is. But is it stealing? And how far back in history does one go? Is there a time limit? If so, who sets that time limit? And here's a question no one is willing to ask in this timid toy box PC world. If there was a conquest and your side lost because it was outnumbered, outmatched, outplayed, outkilled, outfoxed, whatever, 
given the way we've always run our world, what makes us think that the losing side is entitled to compensation? I can just feel people seething now. I can just feel it. <laughs> now, Metin, it is not lost on me that your name is Turkish and my name is Armenian. So in a roundabout way, I suppose you might be asking or thinking, do I think I deserve compensation for the atrocities committed by the Turkish authorities of the day? And what I'm talking to, um, what I'm speaking of people is this, uh, the Armenian genocide, uh, circa 1985 to 1915. Okay. Well, Metin, no, I don't. I don't feel I deserve compensation for the atrocities committed by the Turkish authorities of the day. Armenians occupied, ruled and defended their lands for a great many years. Then they were crushed by the Ottomans and then they lived as second class citizens for many a year before the the order went out to murder and to remove all Armenians from their ancestral lands and pretty much anybody else who got in the way of this pan-Turanistic dream of uniting all the Turkish lands across the Crescent. So we fought, we lost our lands. There was conquest and we lost. Do I resent it? No, because this is the way we have chosen to run our world. What's the point of resenting it? It is dysfunctional and deranged, and yet here we are. Now, the Turkish establishment refuses to admit it was a planned genocide, but we have piles of honest evidence to suggest otherwise, and I care not one jot if they admit to it or not, because the truth is in Akasha for all to read. And I thrive because I wish to. I'm not stuck in some endless loop of genocide complex. I thrive wherever I land because I live in the present moment and the past has no hold over me. Why should I carry the pain of something that happened over a 100 years ago? Why would I want to engage in that level of self-sabotage? And the same applies to my native indigenous American friends and to my American friends with African ancestry. We cannot be stuck in the past because if we are, then energetically the past is still happening. And you know what? It's not. It's not happening. It happened. Past tense. The world is a very different place now, isn't it? Not that the establishment want you to know that, but we have moved on. We've come a very long way in a very short space of time. And there are people out there using the current administration as their mouthpiece, who wish to keep us divided and hating each other because it keeps them in power. We've figured out by now, I think, peace is not profitable for the dark forces. We can honour our ancestors without bringing their pain into this timeline. I believe they, the ancestors, would be disappointed if we did anything else because they're in heaven and they have evolved and they are at peace and they wish we would do the same. They wish we would evolve and be at peace. I, for one, will not apologize for something my ancestral bloodline did many moons ago. I'll acknowledge it, but I have no need to apologize for it, for if I do, then I'm carrying the burden of guilt for it, which is the same as thinking I committed the crime and need to be punished, which is not the case. And not in today's world. That mentality will weaken you and a weak mind is easily taken over by those who have very dark intentions. That is what is happening right now with all this racial division. And we have come such a long way if we just think about it. I believe the only people who want compensation for events that took place eons, eons ago, they would be the ones who are not motivated to thrive. And they would be people with a victim mentality who wish to be given an excuse not to contribute to the betterment of mankind and to their own evolution and to their own betterment. So, as my mother would say, which basically means 
You can sit crooked, but you've got to talk straight. There is a difference between acknowledging past atrocities and keeping them alive by reigniting the hatred and riling up the weak-minded. We will never build a better future if we cannot make peace with the past and be fully focused on accepting where we are now, where the borders are now, and how we can evolve together. Our histories are full, chock full of evil deeds. Would you like to wash them clean? Would you like to be the best version of yourself now? And each morning when you wake up, are you ready to make a commitment to conducting yourselves with honor, with integrity? And every evening, are you willing to make a commitment before bed to ask yourself if you were a better version of yourself this day? than yesterday. And if you're still hung up on possible involvement with past deeds, are you your own ancestor and all of this stuff that we get hung up on? Because it is quite possible that you were your own ancestor. But on the other hand, we do like variety in spirit. We like to be Chinese, then we'll be Armenian, then we'll be Turkish, then we'll be English, then we'll be Puerto Rican. We like to be a man, we like to be a woman. Maybe one day we'd like to be a hedgehog. It doesn't mean you're necessarily your own ancestor, but are you plagued with this ancestral guilt? Then just pray with me right now. Divine creator from whom all blessings flow. If any manifestation of my soul has committed any atrocity or done anything that is below the light of Christ, I forgive myself unconditionally and ask your blessing upon that forgiveness. I ask this for the evolution of my soul and for the betterment of mankind and to all out there, throughout all dimensions, in all directions, through all realms of light and dark and the areas that are gray. If you have erred in perception or action against any manifestation of myself at any time for any reason, blah, 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 I unconditionally forgive you and I ask the divine creator's blessing upon that forgiveness. Thus are all ancestral and generational lines cleared and we may exist in the perfect peace of the eternal now. So there we are. Wasn't that easy? What's going on now, people? That's what's important. Thank you, Metin, for your question or merci, as they say in Turkey, and may God protect us all, which I believe is Allah Korusun. It's been a long time since I spoke Turkish. So maybe that means I'll have a coffee, but I don't think so. All right, moving on. Let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. And let me have a sip of this rather lovely cocktail. But I'm going to take it easy because I think I made it quite strong. Ah, oh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's lovely. Okay. Shaky, shaky, picky, picky. Here we go. This is from Louise. And Louise asks, dear Annie. Oh, I was hoping I wasn't going to pick this one. Okay, I just want to say this is the last time I am ever going to talk on this subject. So I'm going to try and make it as succinct as possible. Dear Annie, would you please explain why you think abortion should be legal? I have heard you speak about this on many occasions and I'm asking you to break it down for us. I agree with you, by the way, but if you could go into detail, I think it would help. All right, for the last time on planet Earth. Okay, this subject comes up with great regularity and I will break it down as best I can. And you're all entitled to your own opinions and I don't care what they are. Knock yourselves out. First of all, I ask us to stop making snap judgments about people who find themselves in difficult situations with difficult choices to make. We are not in their shoes and we are all guilty of this and I am no exception. I will also remind people that I am a spiritual counselor and my job is to help people align with higher intelligence and live functional, happy lives without harming themselves and others in the process. 
I have no interest in having my opinions legislated, nor do I have a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach to my work. Each soul is unique and operates through a unique body complete with millions of lines of ancestral coding. Let's start with pregnancy and then move on to abortion. When a woman becomes pregnant, the soul she has contracted with to be her child is informed of the pregnancy and starts the preparation for the actual incarnation. The soul does not, as is commonly thought, pop itself into the womb and wait there for nine months until it's time to pop out. The soul's energy feeds the fetus, but the soul is connected to the birth mother primarily through the soul star chakra. Until the seventh month, the soul, the soul still has a sense of its cumulative experience and is free to travel between worlds. During the seventh month, it has to decide whether to commit to the incarnation or not. If it decides not, the soul simply returns to the other side for debriefing and then gets on with whatever it wants to do up there until it's time to plan its next incarnation. That is why we have so many unexplained stillbirths at seven months. All right, why would the soul decide at seven months or maybe even sooner not to thrust itself into the physical world? Usually because the birth parents have changed the circumstances around which the original soul contract was written. One example could be that the mother decided during pregnancy to drink heavily or take strong drugs, which would handicap the baby in some way, something perhaps not discussed in the original soul contract. Or perhaps the father, who had contracted to play a major role in the incarnating soul's life, dies or otherwise removes itself from the family. If this is a major component of the birthing soul's evolution, the soul has the option to terminate the pregnancy. Should everything be on track and the soul says, let's go for it, the baby, the soul that's the baby, commits to the fetus and spends more and more time energizing the latter stages of its physical development. And all going well, when it's time to pop out, it does so through the river of forgetfulness and is now in its new personality, in the form of a baby. The soul still is everything it's ever been, but for this incarnation, it is now a different personality. Everyone is happy, champagne is opened, and a new chapter of life begins. And let's be honest, we all know that even with a family who genuinely wants the child, the challenges of raising and guiding a newbie through life can be exhausting emotionally and physically. And even in a family that wants the child, that planned for the child, a phrase people in my line of work hear over and over again is, I have them now and I love them, but if I could choose again, I would have waited longer before becoming pregnant, or I have them now and I love them, but had I thought about it more, I would have made a different choice. We are manifestations of divine energy. When we decide to have a child, we are giving source energy an opportunity to have an experience on our realm. It should be a time of joy for the parents. They should be excited and enthusiastic to welcome the new soul. And their expectation is that it will enhance their lives. They will form a family, a tribe to add to, and they will grow the happy family. In my opinion, it is the height of disrespect to source energy to force someone into having a child she did not plan for or has no desire or ability to care for. And I ask us to focus on that sentence for a moment. 
It is the height of disrespect to source to force someone into having a child she did not plan for or has no desire or ability to care for. Accidents happen. Mistakes are made. Crime happens. Women are raped. Rapists often get a few years and are free, while the woman who was raped is handed a life sentence caring for a child conceived in brutality. And here's something else to consider in an unplanned or violent conception. There's no soul contract, is it? So who the hell's going to pop in? You could get lucky or you could get very unlucky because there are many souls who just want to have a physical incarnation. Now, all that aside, do you know what happens to children who are not wanted, who are given away to orphanages and the like? I do. Some do okay, but most do not. No one advocates advocates for unwanted children. And history has shown us how horribly abused these children have been and are still to this day. If you've paid attention to the stories of pedophiles, adrenochrome production, ritual Luciferian sacrifice, child slave labor, all these stories are true. Where do you think these children come from? They are taken from the ranks of the unwanted. So is that something you would wish for a manifestation of source energy? I think not. If a woman finds herself with child but has no desire or ability to care for that child in a loving and functional way, the humane action is to safely terminate the pregnancy and allow the incarnating soul the freedom to go home, better for the soul and better for the mother. I have no opinion on whether health insurance should pay for the termination or not. I could care less about that type of logistics. My point is this. Termination should always be legal so that it will always be safe. That way, we don't have millions of unwanted, unloved children living horrible lives as pawns under the control of their abusers. And we won't have women dying from infections because of backstreet practitioners. And we humans, we can do better in the bonky bonky department. If you're going to have sex, for the love of humanity, make sure you have condoms handy. Abortion is hard on the body. It is not a casual form of birth control. And to the men out there, who would rather not have sex than have it with a condom, my advice to you is don't have sex and take your arrogance out of the human gene pool. And ladies, if you're going to be sexually active but have no desire to conceive, you should carry a packet of condoms with you too. To anyone out there who thinks that abortion is murder, are you thinking with your own mind or quoting some doctrine or another? What is murder? Why is it OK to kill in uniform, but not in civilian clothing? If life is eternal, when does it begin and when does it end? If you consider it murder to kill the unborn, conceived for whatever reason up to and including rape, do you also consider it murder to kill the born? Or are you going to give me a lame argument along the lines of the born can defend themselves, but the unborn cannot? Once the unborn are born and they are unwanted and given over to an orphanage or a child protection agency and abused and sold for sex or cheap labor, they cannot defend themselves because they are children. So to all you holier than thou people out there, and you're entitled to your holier-than-thou belief system. Are you willing to take responsibility for all the unwanted abused children? Will you give them a home and treat them as your own? I don't mean at some date in the future, by the way. I mean right now, today, this moment. And will you take the poor, broken teenage mother into your home and treat her as your own without judgment? From this shaman's perspective, 
if, after prayerful consideration and discussion with those you trust and who love you, assuming you have that, if it's not the time for you to welcome a manifestation of source into your life, to care for it, to nurture it, to guide it, then one should have the freedom to respect source by safely terminating the pregnancy. To have it, then throw the baby into the system. I've got to be honest with you people, in my line of work, you have just offered that child to Lucifer's minions. And if you could see what I have seen, you would never consent to that. No scripture is inerrant. Humans are easily misled. Be sure the thoughts in your head are your own and that the heart resonates to them. Try to make life better for those around you, not more difficult. So thank you for the question, Louise. I think I broke that down pretty well. And I think I'm not going to take any more questions on the subject as I have nothing more to say other than what I have already shared. So let me sip my excellent cocktail and celebrate the fact that I am way past childbearing age. And let me shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and take another question. Whew, here's one from a chap named Christian. Oh, dear. Here we go. Who asks, dear Arnie, I have written to you before, but my question wasn't chosen. Or perhaps the subject matter was too sensitive. I hope I am picked this time around. This is my question. Was Jesus black, white, olive, red, yellow, or another color? Too sensitive for this show, Christian? I think not, my lad. Anyway, pretty much whatever I say is going to be contradicted and challenged, but on this show... We encourage people to share their views and we don't much care if people disagree with us. So there we have it. So Jesus, uh, Emmanuel, um, he was near Eastern and he was tanned from the sun. But in ancient shaman law, he was tall and he was white skinned and he had blue gray eyes. And you know what that means? Nothing other than he was tall. And he was white skinned and he had blue gray eyes, which is not exactly unheard of, by the way, in the Near East. I always ask my peeps on the other side about this and have always received the same response. White, tan skin, tall with blue gray eyes. I even asked Matthew about it and he told me that the likeness of Jesus Emmanuel, painted by a lady called Nanette Christ, was one of the most accurate ones that he had seen. And that painting happens to hang in a friend of mine's living room. And in that painting, Jesus is tall, white skinned, with blue gray eyes. And it's completely irrelevant because, you know, it matters not one jot. Ascended masters come in all shapes, sizes, and hues. Ascended masters, it's like one of those Beer variety packs, a little bit of everything. Every single type of brew is represented. So there we are. Hurrah for Jesus. Now, um, do we have another one? Yes, we do. <clears throat> Here, oh, this is, let's pick this one. This, this is a postcard and it's from Naples, Florida. And it's from a chap called Antone who says, Dear Arnie, my kid sees fairies in our garden. And that's okay with me, but he wants to give them food and he wants me to build them a door so they slip through different worlds easily. Not sure where the kid gets this stuff from, but it's cute. So I guess my question to you is this. What shall I feed them and what kind of door do I build? And last but not least, Annie, my boy is four and he likes fairies and he's above average bright, and he doesn't like dirt. He's kind of clean. Does this mean he will grow up to become a fairy, if you know what I mean? <laughs> Antone, 
All right. Well, darling, as far as food goes, fairies, they get plenty to eat on their realm, but they do love sweet stuff. So a cupcake, a slice of pie, candy, all these things are good choices. But just don't give them anything with synthetic dye like Skittles or M&M because it gives them migraines and skin rashes and also diarrhea. Uh, you know, peanut butter jelly sandwich. That's good. They like that kind of stuff. As far as the door goes, I would research fairy doors on the Internet and ask your son which one he thinks his fairies would like. And, you know, include him in the food choices, too. As for being clean and bright and having a thing for fairies and tone, this does not mean that your son is gay. I assure you that male fairies are not in any way effeminate. They are manly fairies and they do manly fairy things. Look, man, you should take a look at the Lord of the Rings and watch the elves kick butt on the battlefield. They have long hair and delicate features, but they definitely have lead in their pencils, if you know what I mean. So fear not. Thank you, Anton. And I hope you have fun with your fairies. All right, my darlings, I think that's the end of questions, answers and comments for today. I want to thank all the contributors for their most excellent questions. Keep them coming because we started this show to hear what strange notions float through the minds of you, the people. And now a quick announcement. Citizens, are you tired of thought control? Do you pass out from ennui each time Facebook attaches a false news notice to your truth bombs? Are you exasperated by censorship on clatter, twitter, twatter, schmatter? Do you have the urge to throw up whenever you see Fauci's grouchy face? Do you scream in pain and resist the urge to rape and pillage and slit your wrists whenever you see Pelosi's two-faced, self-righteous, hate-filled visage? Then suffer no more, my darlings. Join my Telegram chat page, t.me forward slash chat. Join like-minded American freethinkers, share your frustrations, share your problems, and share plausible solutions, or just shoot the breeze with people who choose not to have sticks inserted up their asses. So, join it. It's good. It's fun. And we are going to have a Telegram voice chat on August the 17th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. This group is a group for people who believe in a supreme conscious intelligence and know that a shadow government, a.k.a. Deep State, exists. We're non-denomination, we're non-partisan, and we are very much, yes, we can. So, that's that. We do pray. We are a pie and prayer group, but... Uh, we don't have a holier-than-thou attitude. So join us. All right. Done. Now it's time for everyone's favorite session. <laughs> it's tarot. A go-go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. And this week's card is the Five of Pentacles. So let's pick it up and see what nuggets of intel we get from it. And I can't find my tarot cards. Where are they? Oh, <laughs> right here, just behind the bottle of bourbon. Okay, hold on. What have we got? Let's take a look at the Five of Pentacles. Let's see what knowledge it imparts. What a depressing card. Oh, my God. Like disabled people outside a stained glass window, all bandaged up, and one person's got a leg missing, and it's cold, and... Ugh. Well, I would say initially poverty. Poverty. I'm definitely getting poverty. Poverty of mind, possibly, even though it's a pentacle. Pentacles pertain a lot to our practical world. But yes, it could be poverty of mind as well as poverty of cash. Certainly loss, certainly disappointment. Um, misfortune, money troubles. That's what I'm getting. Also, looking at the physical location, um, a feeling of being abandoned. It's not just financial strain, is it? There's a feeling here that we're outside. We're outside the church where all the good stuff is inside the church. Mm, depression, deprivation, 
Hmm. I don't think this bodes very well for legal settlements or if you've just moved your stocks and shares around. Um, could it be that you've just lost faith? Is that why you're outside the church and not in the church? A very demoralizing card. Um, hmm. I think I'll just have to say that you feel like you've been left out in the cold. And you may have overextended yourself. This is what I get. Um, it's impoverished, lonely, um, down and out. I don't like it. Let's turn it upside down. Oh, that feels better. I think that in the reverse position, it actually is a turn for the better. That our faith is being renewed and we're going to have improved working conditions. Yeah, I think it's positive upside down. But of course, that does depend on all of the other cards around. It could also be horrid. It could be bankruptcy, frustration, massive despair, massive money problems, severe deprivation. Um, but on the whole, just on its own, in the reverse position, it feels a lot better than in the upright position. And I'm going to not go on about this card too much because it just depresses me terribly. Yes. Well, bye bye, five of pentacles. Now, I don't want you to think that when you get this card, you're going to go, oh, my God, I'm bankrupt and everything's going to go wrong. You have to look at what's around you. Now, when you do a one card pick, if, for example, you say, OK, my portfolio, I don't really have one. But for those of you who do have a portfolio, say, for example, you've got all your portfolio in with one broker or whatever they, these people are. And you say, I want to take half of it and I want to invest it in Bitcoin or some alter in heavy metals or not heavy metals, precious metals. One of these other things. Would this be a good idea? And you do a quick pick and you get the five of pentacles. That would not be a good idea. You see, and even if you picked it reversed, I still would reassess. OK, so that's how you read just one card on its own. If it's in a Celtic spread or a bigger spread, you're going to have to make a story around it. And um, in order to do that, you should sign up for my tarot course because it's fun. Well, that's it for tarot a go go. Let's officially close that section. And now I think we should do weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. And today's weirdness is taken from the animal world. And it's taken from the animal world because I had lunch with a good friend of mine the other day, Molly, who is an exotic animal expert. Now, wombats. We were talking about wombats. I have no idea why, but we were. So wombats, they live in Australia and they're nocturnal. And they live in burrows underground and they have really bad eyesight. But guess what? When they poop, their poop comes out in square nuggets. Isn't that fascinating? And their poo is also very, very dry. And it's filled with very, very fine grass particles. And they have very slow digestion. Sometimes up to a week, sometimes more apparently to digest their food. And when it comes time for them to eliminate their square poopies, they will average 80 to 100 square poop nuggets in one evening. That is some poop fest. Now, I'm not aware that any other animal poops squares. So I want to know why is wombat poo square? Do wombats have square anuses? Apparently they do not. Do wombats have square intestines? Apparently, they do not. Could it have something to do with the fact that their digestion is so slow that their poo is dried and compacted? Why is it so dry anyway? Is it the environment? Do the wombats have to squeeze every drop of moisture from their food? I thought to myself, it has to do something with the shape of their intestines. And the research that I did well, I came to the conclusion that wombat poo specialists can't agree on the cause. So I asked my friend Molly, who's an expert on all these things and is usually always right. She thinks it's because of the shape of their cecum. 
something we humans don't have. And the cecum is a pouch connected to the junction of the small and large intestine. So I guess lots of slow digestion, lots of grass and everything. It goes down there really slowly, dries out, compacts, gets square in the cecum and pops out of their round little bottoms. Isn't that fascinating? This is the sort of thing that keeps me up at night. So that's the wombat poopies. All right, next, flamingos. Did you know they're not actually pink? Well, let's put it a different way. We look at flamingos and they are pink because they're pink in all the postcards. But they're born gray, apparently. And it's because of their diet of brine shrimp and blue-green algae that they change color because that blue-green algae and the brine shrimp, there's a natural pink dye called can. I think it's called canthaxanthin, something along those lines. And it makes their feathers pink. So back in the day when they started having flamingos in zoos, they were you know, the zookeepers were very excited because they got all these lovely pink flamingos, right? But then they lost their coloring. And then the zookeepers realized that they had to supplement their diets with this blue-green algae. And then they became pink again. How fascinating is that? All right. Now, here's something that sounds quite horrific. The horned lizard is able to shoot blood from its own eyes up to a distance of three feet away. And that's disgusting and it's horrible and it's terrible behavior. But it is a defensive mechanism and it confuses predators. I would certainly be very confused if somebody shot blood out of their eyes at me. It's probably one of the very few things in the paranormal world that hasn't happened yet. So their blood contains a chemical that's noxious to predators. Um, and they also, these, these horny toads, no, they're not horny toads, they're horned lizards. These horned lizards, while they're shooting out this noxious blood from their eyes at you, they're capable of inflating their bodies up to twice the size. I don't know where they live, but I'm going to avoid them. OK. All right. Next little weird and wacky tidbit from the anus of history. Oh, the little pangolin. Anyone seen the pangolin? They look like little armor plated things. So um, it's a mammal, African, Asian area, and it has a body covered with little horny, horny overlapping scales. It has a very small head and an elongated snout. And it has a long sticky tongue because it catches ants and termites. And the tail is sort of thick, but tapering. Um, and they're nocturnal. They don't really have any teeth. And for the most part, um, they are harmless to humans. But there are predators and lions, for example. And the pangolin, apparently, is able to roll itself up into an armor-plated ball so the lions can't eat them. And that's lovely and very useful. But here's the thing. Lions aren't the only ones that want to eat the pangolins. There's this thing in traditional Chinese medicine. And uh, pangolins are very useful for certain ailments in TCM. Unfortunately, if the little pangolin is approached by a Chinese acupuncturist, it can roll itself up into a little ball but the human, unlike the lion, can just pick him up and take him away and uh, have their way with him. And that's very sad for the little pangolins. So there we go. All right, moving along. What other little oddments came my way today? Ooh, crocodiles. I don't care for crocodiles and alligators. There's something very ancient about them, very primal about them. Um, more than any other predator, you look at them and you go, you can tell what they're thinking. Eat, eat, kill, shit, eat, repeat. You know, there's something just not very, they're not warm and fuzzy. I don't like them. But the crocodiles in the Nile, their jaws apparently can apply 5,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. 
And it's acknowledged that that's the strongest bite of any animal in the world. So by comparison, I asked my friend, <laughs> well, what about a human's jaw? What does it produce per square inch in comparison? Well, 100 pounds of pressure per square inch in comparison. A human jaw produces 100 pounds of pressure per square inch and the Nile crocodile 5,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. And that makes the crocodile's bite 10 times more powerful than that of a great white shark. I don't much care for them either. So my advice to everyone is if you're vacationing in the Nile, don't swim in the Nile. Okay, moving on. The loudest animal relative to its size is the water boatman, and that's an aquatic bug. And it measures only 12 millimeters, but it can produce something like 99 megadecibels of sound. And it does this by rubbing its genitalia across its abdomen. That is just so incredibly rude. They shouldn't be doing that sort of thing in public. The equivalent noise level, you could compare it to a circular saw or a drill. That's a lot of noise for a little bug who's playing with its willy. You shouldn't do that. And on to something even more horrific. The most venomous fish in the world is acknowledged to be the stonefish. The stonefish is about 30 centimeters. It's found in the shallow waters of the tropical Indo-Pacific. And these little buggers, they just lie there motionless, partially buried, waiting for poor, some poor schnook to come and step on it. And that's not a good idea, you see, because they have 13 sharp, thin spines on their back, and each one has two venom glands. And their stings are incredibly painful, and it can be lethal. So if you find yourself enjoying a swim in the shallow waters of the tropical Indo-Pacific, I would wear stonefish-proof water booties. And be very careful, because death, my darlings, will ruin your vacation. So that's bad. But does it outkill the box jellyfish? The box jellyfish is found in northern Australia and the Indo-Pacific tropical thingy. And its venom can kill you before you even make it out of the water and onto the shore. And there are 29 varieties of this box jellyfish. Whew. You know, when you see pictures of Indo-Pacific waters and uh, Australian beaches, you think to yourself, wow, that looks like paradise, doesn't it? Sand, sun, surf, warm breezes, tropical drinks. But apparently this region of the world is where Dick Cheney keeps his pets. So give it a wide berth, my darling, unless you're going to go in there with an armor-plated rubber suit, because that's the only way you're going to make it out alive by all accounts. All right, before we, um, you know, wrap up here in a few minutes, we've still got a few minutes, I just want you to be aware of my website, uh, arniabadissian.com, and take a look at the cosmic conversations that I have every month. They're a series of two-hour presentations on popular New Age subjects and also subjects that are not popular but I think should be popular. It's 15 bucks a pop, and they're via Zoom. This month, in August, we are doing the Tao Te Ching, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about Lao Tse. In September, we are going to talk about transhumanism, what it is, what it isn't, how it's already started, and why we don't want it. In October, we're going to have a light-hearted <laughs> overview of witchcraft, Wicca, and spell magic, the history of and how to be a fabulous white witch, um, you know, in today's world. And in November, I had come up with my partner with something fabulous that I just absolutely cannot remember what it is right now. Um, but as soon as I remember it, I'll put it up on my website and you can all sign up for that.
Also, any of my classes that you see on the website, you can book those privately as an individual, or you can form your own group. And anything that's on there that you like the sound of and want to know more about, just drop me a line because I will always get back to you within 24 hours because that is the kind of girl I am. All right. Now, before I do sign off, I just want to remind us all of a few things. First of all, we are in the midst of a battle between light and dark. People think it's all political shenanigans and power play. Well, of course, it's power play, but it's not political. We are in a very serious situation here. We are in the great deception, approaching the great cataclysm, and we're going to have the great mopping up and then the great awakening. I want to remind everyone that the mask mandates are illegal and immoral. I want to remind everyone that Schmovid is just another variation of the common flu. There was no spike in mortality and therefore there was no pandemic. So the whole thing is one big fat hoax designed to terrorize us into believing that there is a killer virus out there that's going to kill all of us any minute now. And it simply is not true. It is all smoke and mirrors. And it would be oh so easy to laugh it off except that the whole fake scenario was created to persuade us into accepting the mark of the beast, which they are calling a vaccine. And that, my darlings, is designed to kill us. Everything your conspiracy theorist friends told you about New World Order, Luciferians, pedophiles, deep swamp government corruption, it's all true. And it's time to wake up, grow up, and stop sticking our heads in the sand. Because do you know what happens when we stick our heads in the sand? Our asses are exposed, sticking right up in the air, and I won't even go into what the establishment would like to do with that. Citizens of America resist tyranny. Citizens of the world refuse to comply with the madness. Here in the home of the brave, the land of the free, do not let these perceptual engineers put these insane ideas in your head. Stand up straight and quote without ceasing from the gospel of eternal outrage. Woe unto the deceivers and woe unto the evil ones for the righteous shall restore America to her sacred purpose and she shall lead the world into a new golden age. The establishment has lied to us about everything since the days of Sumer and Babylon. It is time to move them on. And on a lighter note, I hope you enjoyed listening to the show as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I had a blast. I always do. Today's real-life cocktail is a classic from the good old days. It's called a southern cocktail, and it's sassy and slow, and here's how you make it. You take one and a half ounces of bourbon. Today, I'm using Basil Hayden's eight-year-old Kentucky Straight. You have a goodly dash of Benedictine, a French herbal liqueur, which is exceptional and a must-have. One dash of grenadine, which is a sweet pomegranate syrup, and a dash of lemon juice. Now, pour all that directly into an old-fashioned glass. Then add one ice cube and with a stirrer, stir it, not vigorously. Stirring is not vigorous and it's not shaking. You just stir it to blend everything together. Then I add a good version of a maraschino cherry, not that disgusting neon red rubbish. And I twist a lemon peel over the whole thing and I drink it. And it's quite lovely and I feel so happy now. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, God bless America and let the spirit inhabit the human. Thank you. 
You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Avedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Music